Well, good morning again. It's great to be with you today. Great to worship with you. The worship team's going to come back at the conclusion of the service and, and close us out uh, as we worship the Lord together, as we wrap up this series on the heart of worship. And let me ask you a question. How many of you have a tech advisor? Anybody here have a tech advisor? How many of you are tech advisors for someone? Nobody, okay, well, we got one or two there. Okay, well, I, I have a tech advisor. And I, in fact, I have more than one tech advisor. And I ask questions of my tech advisors because I have things that I, I need to learn um, that I, I don't have any other way of learning. Yesterday, I got a lesson on Microsoft Teams from my daughter-in-law because I need to learn Microsoft Teams very quickly, and so I ask her. But my normal tech advisor is the guy back in the, the uh, sound booth, and, and he has, he's made it clear that I'm not just allowed to ask anybody tech questions anymore. I have to take them to him because I can get conflicting advice, and then it makes his job harder, and that's not good. But... Remember back, uh, you know, like three years ago, almost three years ago, when we were, we were going to church strictly at home for a while, right? And then one morning, I get a call from my dad about 10 minutes before the service starts, and he says, Kev, are you guys going to have your service online? And I said, yeah, Dad. I said, I'm literally, I've, I've got my iPad. I'm, I'm literally seeing the, the feed right now, you know, five or ten minutes before the service. And he goes, well, it's not there. It's not there. I said, what, what do you mean it's not there? It's not there, Facebook. I said, Dad, I'm on Facebook. I'm on it right now. And we began this conversation back and forth. And it wasn't the only time that we've had it. And I've, I've tried to be his tech advisor. I get off the phone. I'm literally, I'm like drenched in sweat. I am worn out, okay? Because dad, it's right there at the top of the screen. It's not there. And, and this conversation, and I get off the phone, and I'll be honest, and, and my dad knows I love him, um, but I, I, I get off the phone, and I'm a little bit exasperated, and I will walk out of my office and I'll walk out by the rest of the staff and I'll, I'll just kind of say something and then I hear this whisper. Now you know how I feel. <laughs> that was the most humbling moment that I can remember in a long, long time. Have you ever felt dumb asking questions? I, especially when it comes to technology, I, I, man, I feel dumb when I ask some of those questions. Sometimes we, we ask questions about worship. Sometimes we, we feel dumb about it. Sometimes we don't. But I hear lots of questions about worship. And I know that some of you are having questions in your heart and your mind about worship. And we've sort of, you know, run over this one a couple of times, but some people might ask, why, why don't we sing hymns? Some people just say, why don't we sing older songs that we used to a few years ago? Not, not even if we go back to the hymns, just let's just go back 10 years, you know? 
And uh, we, uh, you know, I know people that they, they look at the date the song was written, and if it's X number of years gone by, they don't want to do it anymore. So we ask that question. Some people, here's a good one. Why do you sing so many songs? Some people say this. How come we don't do more songs? <laughs> you got two people asking absolutely different opposite questions. Uh, you know, how come some people like, how come we stand so much? You know, you can always tell people that come from liturgical backgrounds because they talk about the up downs. Okay. At least we don't do the up downs, you know. Um, <laughs> some people will ask questions, uh, you know, why, why is the, the, why do we, you know, worship is always led with music. Some people will ask, why do we repeat the lyrics so much? I mean, that's crazy. We already said it once to God. He knows. He understands, right? Why do we, we don't repeat those lyrics necessarily for him. We're repeating them so it gets through this right here, okay? But why do people sometimes raise their hands? If you want to know a little bit about raising hands, just on YouTube, just search Tim Hawkins, he's a comedian. You will die laughing at all of the different ways that people raise their hands in church. Do not do it right now, please. I, I just realized what a mistake that was to mention that. But, you know, our, the Bible that, that we have, and I assume that you have one, and I, I realize, okay, I, I use my cell phone a lot for my Bible. I don't do it for my daily devotions, but I, I use it here on the platform, you know, frequently. But, but we have Bibles. And, and the Old Testament was written in a language called Hebrew. It was the language of Abraham and Moses and David. And the New Testament was written in Greek and Aramaic. It, none of it was written in English. Certainly none of it was written uh, in, in King James English, Okay. But in Hebrew, one word that we use, which is worship, maybe we even expand that a little bit to praise, okay? And some of us, we just say praise and worship together like it's one word. I'm guilty. I do that all the time. But in the Hebrew, it's, it's a much richer, they have many more words for the same English word. It is, and, and I believe that's, Part of why God gave us the scripture originally in Hebrew because of that language. And so today what I want to do is I want to look at six Old Testament words that describe worship. Okay, are you with me? All right, we're not going to begin speaking Hebrew from this point forward. We will still say worship, okay? It's just for a better understanding of worship. So the first word I want to look at is the word barak. In John's revelation of the throne, there are seraphim that are flying around in God's presence day and night. There is continuous worship. They are crying out before the Lord 24-7, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. It's an atmosphere of worship. We read about it in Revelation chapter 4. Verses 10 through the first part of 11, I want you to see this. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, 
You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. This Hebrew word for worship, the word barak, it is in it, it, the response in worship, being unconcerned with comfort. You say, well, why, why do we do the things that we do? Sometimes we do the things that we do in worship because we're just being unconcerned with our own personal comfort. It's, it's less comfortable to stand than it is to sit. It's also less comfortable to, to lay prostrate on the floor, on a hard floor, than it is to stand. And when we worship God, we can demonstrate our heart by our physical posture. And that word barak, it means fervent humility and reverence to God. Being aware that we are literally dust of the earth. That we are a mist that will soon be gone from this earth as we worship him. The intent of our heart when we worship with Barak is to say, he is my king. When I stand, and, and let's face it, when we raise our hands in worship, man, you raise your hands for a while, you're like, my shoulders are starting to hurt. I didn't realize I had this back pain. When we, when we kneel in worship, when in our private time with God, we feel a sense of awe and reverence and we lay prostrate before him, we are saying, you are my king. I yield myself to you. Psalm 89, 52 says, praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. When we bow, we lay prostrate, we bless him. We are worshiping with that word Barak. You are my God. I surrender my life to you. The second word that I want to look at is tada. The Hebrew word tada from Psalm 56. And I know what you're thinking. Tada. I you know what? I think you're absolutely right. Psalm 56, starting at verse 10, it says, In God, whose words I praise in the Lord, whose words I praise, in God I trust, and I am not afraid. What can man do to me? I am under my vows to you, my God. I will, look at this, present my thank offering to you. The word tada has two things. And if you think about the way we use the word today, okay, ta-da, today, ta-da. We use the word ta-da in our culture. There's a lot of similarities because there's two components. One is that your hands are used. Okay. The other is that you are thanking. Those are the two components of so we raise our hands or we clap our hands. The Bible talks, in fact, in Exodus, clap your hands, all ye people, King James, shout unto God with the voice of triumph. So when we clap our hands, we are, we are clapping not for the band, okay? Don't, don't ever think that we're clapping to, to say thank you to the band. We are clapping because we are thanking God. We are giving him an offering of thanksgiving. 
I love what Sarah Camparado said. I'm going I'm to share something else about her later in my message. But uh, from a website called Firm Israel, she writes an article and it says, we extend our hands in adoration and thanksgiving. Get this, wanting nothing in return, but getting everything back. So no matter how anything looks in our lives... When we are worshiping God with tada, we are using our hands, okay, and we are thanking him regardless of how anything else looks, and we're not asking for anything back. We're just saying, God, I thank you. I thank you. I praise you. I heard it described once by a, 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 a speaker that when we clap our hands and we offer ta-da before the Lord, that it gets his attention because we're not asking for anything back. And he recognizes that there's a lot of things going on in our lives right now, and we're not bringing that before him, but rather we are worshiping with ta-da. And he says, what is it that's causing those problems in my children's life? And he begins to go to work in that area of our lives, no matter what it is, in our circumstance, with our families, with our resources, whatever it is, and he begins to work because we offer him ta-da with no expectation of anything in return. No quid pro quo here. No expectation. Number three, yada. So we go from ta-da to yada. I want you to remember, okay, think about this now. Two million Hebrews have crossed the Red Sea. They begin this journey to Mount Sinai. And if you could see the, this picture from a, a drone really high up, what it would look like is almost a single file of ants, okay? They pro I'm sure they weren't single file, but it looked like that. They were stretched out over a long distance, and it was a line. And as you can imagine, you've got some aggressive walkers up front, right? You've got some people up front that they're, you know, they are, man, they're really going after it. They're, I mean, they're moving their arms. They're like, we got to get there. Come on, people. We have got to get there. And then as you get to the back, what would you have in the back? What do you think? You'd have older people, okay? You'd have people with young children. You would have the sick, the infirmed that are there. And that's exactly the situation. And in Exodus chapter 17, we read God's response because as they were walking out, what happened was the Amalekites to the north had heard that the Egyptian army was destroyed and they said, this is our opportunity now to attack Israel. And what they did was they didn't come at them from the front. They didn't take on the strong. They came in from the back and they attacked the weak and the elderly first. And 40 years later, God said, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going, to take, I'm, going to, I'm going to judge what they did. Exodus chapter 17, starting at verse 10. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. God tells Moses, Moses tells Joshua. Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, 
one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. This is Yada. The connection between the seen and the unseen. We can't explain it. Why was it that Moses' hands had something to do with it? Why is that? Because Moses was not doing the fighting. Paul says it this way in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, in verse 4. He said, the weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. What, what Exodus is telling us is that when we raise our hands, we are doing so in victory, believing that in the unseen world, victory is being won at that moment. And as soon as Moses' hands came down, all they saw, hey, wait a second, they're losing. What, what's, they put the hands up, they're winning. What do you think Moses was gonna, he just said, I gotta keep them up, guys. We gotta keep our hands raised because that's where the victory ultimately is coming from. Upraised hands are a sign of victory. Back to my tech illustration. When I saw the tech problem myself, or when I have something that really, what do I, I, ooh, oh, yes. Ask my wife. I do this in the living room. And she's like, what is wrong with you? And I, I did it. It's me. I, I, I did it. I was able to figure out something on the computer by myself. We have this moment of victory. Let me ask you this. Anybody here in a battle? Anybody? Are you in a battle? Anybody? You don't have to raise your hand. It's, it's a rhetorical question. I know the answer is yes. When we raise our hands, what we're doing is we're saying, God, there's a connection between the seen and the unseen world. And in the, in the seen world, I need a victory. And I'm praying that in the unseen world, that you are working on my behalf. Friends, let me tell you something. The scripture says that God will fight for us because the battle belongs to our God. All right, number four. Just, just belt up. Just put your seatbelt on. Zamar. Zamar. Psalm 92, verse 1. And all of these are applicable to our own spiritual lives, folks. All of them. Zamar, Psalm 92, 1, it is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praise to your name, O Most High. To sing praise, Zamar. It's a term for musical praise to God. It's a collection of harmonies. Do you know why the churches that we attended when we were young had choirs in them? Because of Zamar. Because a choir, that is a way to worship with harmony and voices blending together. It's to use music to create an atmosphere. It, it, implies, it implies the plucking of strings. Oh, Nate, you were plucking strings this morning. AJ, you were plucking strings on that bass this morning. That's, that is literally the implication to pluck strings with your fingers, to sing, to play music, to create an atmosphere. 
I mentioned Sarah Comparado earlier. Sarah, about the word zamar, she says this, it's the kind of praise that shifts the air. Say, well, what does that mean? I want you to remember that David's first job under King Saul was that of a musician. He was a worship leader. He sang the praises of our God. And I want you to also remember that God had sent an evil spirit to torment King Saul. And it was so bad, the impact was so significant that they said, who can we get? Who plays an instrument? Who can soothe the king this way? And they said, there's this young man named David, a son of Jesse. We could get him because he's known for this. And so David would begin to play. The king was in intense agony and fear and fits of violent rage would come over him. And David's zamar would begin to impact the spiritual realm. We read about it in 1 Samuel 16, 23. Whenever the spirit of the Lord came on Saul, whenever the spirit from God rather came on Saul, David would take up his harp or his lyre and pray. Then relief would come to Saul. He would feel better and the evil spirit would leave him. Guys, God's presence came in the midst of David's worship. When David would pluck those strings on that instrument and he would begin to sing the praises of God, there would be a shift in the air. We've all felt that before. We maybe can't explain it but we've all felt it. When you're in a, in a football stadium and a team comes from behind, all of a sudden we realize the momentum has changed from one team to the other. It's a shift in the air. You can tell a difference. The crowd has been quiet and now it's making noise. When we declare our praise to him, when we declare our zamar to him, there is a shift that takes place in the air. And in this situation uh, where David was ministering to Saul, literally there was a shift in the, the spirit of the room and that evil spirit would leave Saul. There was something that happened even in the spirit realm that air would shift and that evil spirit could not stay. He had to leave because of David's zamar. Psalm 47, 6 and 7 says praises sing praises to God sing praises sing praises to our king sing praises for God is the king of all the earth sing praise or sing to him a pra- a psalm of praise the word there is zamar Because it is going to shift the air. It's going to shift the air in your circumstance. It's going to shift the air in your relationships. It's going to shift the air in your own finances. It is going to have a major impact when you allow the zamar, the worship of God, to come upon you. And friends, I want you to know that our worship is felt in the heavenlies. It's not just something that someone else hears here on earth. The shift in the air is felt here, but the real change is in the heavenlies as we begin to worship him. Number five, this one you're going to be able to guess what it's the root word of, but the word is hallel. 
the Philistines have captured the ark. And they had the ark for several months and disease began to to get poured out onto them. And so they said, we got to get rid of this thing. And so they let it go into the wilderness and eventually it wound up with a family who were a part of Israel and it stayed there for 20 years. The people of Israel were, were very concerned. They were very worried and, and, and nothing bad was happened. So let's leave it there. It was there for 20 years. And, and David wanted to bring the ark to Jerusalem. We read about it in 2 Samuel chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. I want you to just hang on, hang on, just hang on. As I read this, okay? Hang on. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. As they were transporting the ark, the people began to worship the Lord they began to lift up their voices to shout. And the Bible says that the king danced before the Lord with all his might. Jameson Fawcett Brown, one of the commentaries that I read, said it was a violent leaping. Not just, a, not just you know, kind of like we do at weddings, you know. Just kind of keep it, keep it all right here. You're just going to keep it right here. You're not going to move... No, that's not what the word is. It's a violent leaping before God. David didn't hold anything back. He was thrilled that the ark was on its way to Jerusalem. No one was going to outdo David in his physical demonstration of worship. In fact, his wife criticized him. She said, I can't believe that you're doing this. You're you're letting servant girls see you do this. You're, you're, this is not a good thing. David said, but it's all for God. Second Samuel chapter 16, verses 21 and 22. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord. And I will be even more undignified than this and will be humble in my own sight. The word halal means to shine, to be boastful, to glorify, but it combines two things. One is it combines the aspect of praise. The other one is it combines God's most personal name, the name Yahweh, that was so sacred that for generations the Hebrews would not write the vowels out in the word. They would only write the consonants and they eventually forgot to, to what those vowels were. They didn't even know how to pronounce the name. That's how sacred it was. So when we say hallelujah, we are taking our praise and we are adding God's personal name to it, a very sacred name to it. Psalm 113 verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. When we say hallelujah, we are praising God in a very personal way. And then number six is a word called tehillah. Tehillah is a praise song. It's spontaneous. Exodus chapter 15 
starting at verse 1. It says, Then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the ride and its rider he has thrown into the sea. He is my God, and I will praise him. And you say, man, what in the world? Where did this thing come from? Because this is Telah. Let me explain it to you. You see, I want you to imagine two million Hebrews that I talked about before coming across the Red Sea. I want you to, to imagine this. The army has them trapped. The cloud of God is between the people, the two million Hebrew people and the Egyptian army, and that cloud will not let the Egyptian army pass. In fact, the Bible says that on the Hebrew side, it was daylight, but on the Egyptian side, it was darkness. God would not let them pass. And Moses says, hey, God, we got a problem here. Uh, in case you haven't noticed, we have the Egyptians here. We have the Red Sea here. And God says, Moses, what's in your hand? Duh, a stick. Well, I want you to take that stick, and I want you to stretch it out over that water. Because I'm going to part that water. In fact, there's going to be a wall of water on this side. There's going to be a wall of water on that side. There's going to be dry ground, and you're going to pass through it. Imagine as the waters begin to separate. Inexplicably, it's dry ground, and two million people begin to walk through. How many hours would it take for two million people to walk through? I think even before they got all the way through, I think, I think that that cloud began to dissipate and the Egyptians began to see, we've got them now. And so that army and its chariots begin to charge down into that same dry area with a wall of water on each side as, is, as the Hebrews are getting up onto the shore. And now more and more of the Egyptian army are getting closer and closer and they can hear the sound of the wheels of those chariots. They can hear the rumble as it's coming. And then God says, Moses, take that same stick. And I want you to reach it out because this is the last time you're going to see these people. And he reaches that stick out over what used to be the water. And God lets that water just go. And I can imagine the sound of the crashing waves and the, the people fearing for their lives. And as the water comes down, they're literally, they're shielding themselves. And all of a sudden, it's silent. A moment ago, they feared for their lives. And now, they realize they've been delivered. And the sound of the shouts, the sound of the worship rose from that group and they began to thank their God to praise their God the horse and the rider had been thrown into the sea God has triumphed gloriously and they begin to worship him that is Teilah. it's that spontaneous worship that rises from us that we can't even stop it's a deafening sound of thankfulness 
Psalm 22 as I close, verse 3. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. You've heard people say, and this is the verse they're referring to, that God inhabits the praises of his people. Come on, let's stand. Father, we declare our worship and our praise to you today. And God, I realize that there are circumstances that are happening in our lives right now where we would say, God, I need your intervention. But when it comes to worship, Father, we're going to lay those circumstances down and we're just going to look to you. And we're going to say, God, I worship you anyway. God, I worship you no matter what's going on. And in this moment, this personal worship between ourselves and you, God, we just focus on you without expectation. God, just to simply say that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Father, I pray as we go from this place today, God, I ask you that this week you will begin to transform our lives because we step out in our worship. God, I pray that we'll feel a stronger connection to you as we lift up your name. I pray that we'll see you moving in the midst of our praise. God, we thank you. And Lord, before we go this morning, Father, maybe there is someone within the sound of my voice that says, I, I've never even thought about worshiping God before. Why would I worship him? He's not someone that I know, but something has been stirred in their heart and they say, I'd like to know who God is. If that's you this morning, before we go, I just want to pray for you. If you slip your hand up, that's all I'm going to ask of you just so that I can see and know that I can pray for you. If that's you, just slip your hand up so that I can be praying for you. Father, thank you that you are a God who extends yourself to us personally. God, we thank you and we praise you today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it has been great to worship with you today. God bless you. I look forward to having a cup of coffee with you here after the service. Have a great day. Amen.